Welcome to the UC Berkeley Data Science Education Podcast. We're happy you're listening in today. In this space, you'll hear from a variety of distinguished data science educators and professionals. The individuals we'll speak with are diverse in experience and perspective, but share the common goal of shaping the future of data science education. Our idea is to have some informal conversations with the goal of creating community and let people hear from practitioners in this growing new field. And my name is Lauren Chu, also from Data Science Undergraduate Studies. I'm working as an intern with the division's external pedagogy team, and I'll be helping to guide the conversation today, too. All right. Uh, so excited today. We have Dak Young-Saver from Skew the Script. Uh, could you give us a brief introduction to yourself and what you're currently working on? Yeah. So my name is Dash Young-Saver. I'm a high school math teacher here in San Antonio, Texas. And I started teaching AP Stats a few years back and noticed that my students were not engaged by the typical textbook examples that I was giving them, like the heights and weights of students or Bob having 58 watermelons or the angles of ladders against walls. And they would disengage in class. And I didn't blame them because I was teaching in a high poverty school um, and my students were coming from low-income backgrounds or working jobs outside of school. Uh, and were supporting their siblings, had real complex adult problems on their shoulders. And so when I met them with these contrived and almost infantilizing examples, it just wasn't compelling. So I started asking them, what is it that y'all actually want to learn about? And they told me they want to learn about gerrymandering and food deserts and also online dating, sports, social media, stuff that's more serious, stuff that's less serious, but all relevant to them. So I started bringing in data about those examples and the class transformed. Uh, we had more students take and pass the AP stats exam that year than the previous 16 years of the school combined. Um, and beyond the, the numbers, I found that students were more engaged in thinking about issues very critically in a nonpartisan way as citizens. Um, so uh, by the way, those scores, accomplishments, those are all my students' accomplishments, not mine. They're the ones who worked really hard and did super well on that exam and now are going off and doing amazing things. And so I took those lessons, put them on a website. I call it skewthescript.org. And within a week, we had 3,000 teachers signed up using the lessons. Now we have 20,000 teachers on the website, reach about 400,000 students, and it's all available for free. And we have AP stats lessons, algebra and algebra two lessons, the goal of which is to incorporate real data on compelling topics for all sorts of math at the secondary level. So currently I still teach AP stats at the high school on the South side of San Antonio, and I uh, run Skew the Script. Amazing, uh, amazing that you're doing this all at the same time as being a high school teacher. Uh, you know, we've heard a lot about Skew the Script. I guess if you could go back, like did, when you started with this idea of like making the AP Stats curriculum more relevant to the students, did you get any pushback from other teachers or administrators or like, were there any challenges in the way of like bringing in these examples? Yeah, so honestly, I did not get a lot of pushback at all um, from administrators, parents, students. Everyone was just very excited to be talking about and thinking about stuff that actually mattered. And I knew from the get-go that I had to make the stuff as nonpartisan as possible because in the community which I teach on the south side of San Antonio, it's uh, my, my school that I teach at right now is 98% Hispanic. Um, and even though, and 100% and free and reduced lunch, 
And even though demographically it's pretty homogenous, politically it's very heterogeneous. We have a lot of families that are very conservative, a lot of families are very liberal, a lot of families in between, and students' uh, viewpoints differ. And so I knew from the get-go that I had to make the stuff nonpartisan so as to not disengage any section of my class. And I think also that has greater educational value. And so from the jump, these materials have been, let's look at data on real issues and critically analyze it from multiple perspectives and let multiple perspectives into the room. And taking that approach and being very forward about that approach, I think helped ensure that there wasn't a level of pushback that might've been undeserved. Um, and you know, even parents that might've had some concerns, I would invite them into class and they'd be like, whoa, this is so cool that students are actually learning about this stuff and learning to talk about it at this level. Um, I think everyone wants their kid to be able to disentangle very complex issues, very complex topics using the language of data and rigorous mathematical thinking. And so that's what our goal is on the site. That's where our goal has been in the classroom from day one. And so there's been really just an embrace of it rather than a lot of pushback. Nice. Thank you so much. I mean, this is, uh, you know, Clearly, data science is part of being a citizen, you know, in the 21st century. Uh, I guess what's interesting, and, and when I see on your site that you really like mentioned this nonpartisan thing early on, like it's 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 put up there. Um, is there like some important lessons about when you're like what you control the dialogue in your classroom, but you're also promoting like a curriculum for other classrooms? Um, how do you ensure that like this non nonpartisan sense uh, is something that's like propagated out into other people's classrooms? Yeah. So one thing that we do, uh, and I didn't do this when I was teaching solo in my own classroom, but now that we spun out into a full nonprofit, we get to do this is we have a teacher committee of teachers who use you the script and come from different political backgrounds, different political leanings, and come together to review the lessons by committee. And uh, they flag issues uh, that might be potential bias or potential lean or um, also, you know, just content issues with, with the answers being wrong or whatever. And um, we then make adjustments to the curriculum based on that. And we do that review every so often, and that helps ensure the materials are as nonpartisan as possible. Um, and I think also one key thing that we do is in every teacher key, in the handout keys, teacher guides, we talk about, hey, here's where this data analysis ends up. And here are multiple perspectives that students might share that are all consistent with this data and this analysis. And I think it's a very powerful lesson, both for fellow teachers and for students to know that the data can only take us so far. And then once we get into say, what's the causal explanation behind this correlation that we see? Or we know this was a biased sample, what would an unbiased sample have looked like? Those conversations end up delving into assumptions. And if you make different assumptions, you're gonna might end up having different perspectives. And sometimes statistics, data science can't uh, facilitate between those assumptions. We just have to say the data only took us so far. And I think showing that sort of restraint is something that citizens need to be able to do in our information-laden world. Uh, one where you're scrolling through your Twitter feed and there's so many graphs that might be misleading. There's so much data out there being shared 
there's so many quote unquote studies that uh, may or may not be generalizable to the topic at hand to be able to facilitate between these things and and to to know how far the data can get you and also how to question the things in front of you is just I think more important than trying to pedal aside. Nice. We noticed that you had interned as an undergrad with DC public schools. Um, and we work with a lot of students who do a lot of internships. I was wondering if you could comment on how that experience as an undergrad sort of, you know, got you on this path. Yeah. So that internship came after my junior year, I believe, in college. And before then, um, I was actually wanting to be a journalist, believe it or not. I was majoring in English and uh, working as an intern for various newspapers. And my uh, last year working on newspaper as an intern, I was put on the education beat for a week because I was like the young guy in the newsroom. It's like, oh, you're young, you know schools. And so I started going around covering different schools and got a real sense of how tangibly unequal the opportunities were given to students in different areas of the city. And so I decided the following summer to try and do something a bit different. And I wanted to work specifically in education and this internship came up with DC public schools. And so uh, with that internship, I got to work as a data analyst for the central office, looking at enrollment trends in the district between uh, different schools. And it was a lot of uh, fun. It was fascinating. Um, and it was an amazing experience and it got me further and further invested in working in education. It also helped me to realize that in addition to being on this kind of 30,000 foot level of working with data about schools, I wanted to actually go into the class and get a sense of what things were like on the ground and potentially hopefully make some sort of impact. And that drove me to teaching. And I just kind of caught the teacher bug and I couldn't give it up. And I love teaching so much that I don't foresee myself maybe ever giving it up. And, um, uh, you know, I left that intro about, well, maybe I'll teach for a few years and be a, a policy analyst. Um, but here I am still teaching. So um, I think, you know, our awesome. paths are very uh, different and, and not what we expect. I think that's a, a beautiful thing. Awesome. Yeah. So, and we also saw that you, uh, you know, went and did Teach for America and then uh, got a data science master's and um, wondering like how switching to that sort of, you know, coursework in data science, how does that sort of lean into how you've uh, started to build the curriculum around skew the script and inference? Yeah. So my, um, I, I kind of, at the same time that I did the DC public schools internship, that was kind of my uh, intro into statistics that I really hadn't worked a lot with data before. And so I discovered statistics and data science late after my junior year. And so I took as much stats data science courses as I could at the end of college undergrad. And I ended up coming with a stats minor, um, but I was mm -hmm. kind of left wanting more. And so I went back to get a master's in data science and take a bunch of coursework that I didn't have the opportunity to take in undergrad. Um, and I really focused my coursework on machine learning and artificial intelligence, as well as causal inference, uh, specifically in, in policy. And uh, those are the two things that I really nerd out about, especially causal inference, quasi-experimental methods. Um, these are some things that you'll find in the SKU curriculum that's 
sometimes outside a little bit of the scope of AP stats. Like we don't cover quasi experiments in AP stats. We cover just experiments for what's what's taught is if you can't do an experiment, you can't do causation. It's all correlation. But we actually know there are some methods that could in certain situations help you back out causal claims from observational data. And recognizing those things is fascinating and I think a really useful uh, pedagogical experience for students. And so that's built into Skew the Script now and that was informed by my master's. Um, and then also in some of our other non-AP stats curriculum like our algebra curriculum, we have a lesson on machine learning using polynomial functions and overfitting or underfitting to a data set using different polynomial fits. And it's a way into looking at polynomials as a parent function in algebra two. And so that is also stuff that's filtered in from the masters into the curriculum in a way to make that stuff relevant and really come alive for students. Definitely. Um, speaking of your curriculum, what are some of the biggest challenges that you face while establishing your curriculum within Skew the Script? Yeah, I think it was it was kind of funny because it 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 was this real overnight experience where I put the stuff on the website. This is in June 2020. We had just started teaching online due to the pandemic. And so a lot of teachers were looking for materials online to help teach with. And of course, the materials on the site can be used online, in person, in a flip classroom, whatever. Um, but there was this, I think, more flexibility for new materials than there ever was before among teachers. And so a lot of teachers really embraced it in a way that I didn't expect, honestly. Um, and then it's now kind of continued in teacher's curriculum as we come back in person. Um, I think that that was kind of the the easy bit was, was getting the foot in the door um, due to the strange circumstances of the pandemic. Um, I think the, the harder bits have been how to sustain the relevancy in the curriculum. Um, the whole point of it is that it's covering relevant examples. How do you stay relevant over time? And I think we've learned now that um, there are certain examples that will tend to get stale. Uh, so for example, looking at COVID data, um, it by now already has become a bit less relevant for students. And I think within a year it will be very irrelevant for students and less innately interesting for them. Um, there are other examples though, that have these enduring contexts that can be updated with new data, but you can still keep the same context, for example. Does college pay off? Does a college degree still pay off relative to not going to college versus trade school versus a high school diploma? That's something that's an enduring context that you can take new data updated year to year and plug it in and still make it work. And it's something students are going to be thinking about consistently now and for many years to come. So we're learning those lessons on how do we get these enduring relevant contexts and infuse those throughout the curriculum so we have something nice and stable, but still up to date for teachers to be able to use going forward. Yeah, definitely. I really like that you really prioritize relevancy of the curriculum. As a student myself, I know that that's a really important thing for me, just to stay engaged. Um, and kind of going forward, what plans do you have for Skew the Script going forward in the future? Uh, sorry, it was what plans do we have for Skew the Script? Yes. So uh, going forward, we really want to expand our content such that we create relevant curriculum materials for all secondary math levels from middle school through high school. That's the goal. It's going to take a bit, but we're, we're going to do it. And we started in AP Stats. We moved into Algebra 1, Algebra 2. But um, 
soon you might end up seeing irrelevant pre-calculus. You might end up seeing irrelevant geometry. You might end up seeing relevant eighth grade, seventh grade, sixth grade math. And the goal is to take these courses and uh, make sure that there is an open source, free resource for high school teachers to use on any kind of math they might be teaching to make their classes relevant, compelling. And just like the materials you see on the site, it's all going to be stuff that you can use tomorrow. You don't need extra training. You don't need to align it to the standards in a creative way. It's stuff that looks like what you're already doing, but in a relevant and engaging context that might capture students' interests a bit more than your traditional problems. And so it's stuff that you can use tomorrow in your classroom if you have to. Um, another thing that I'll, I'll mention is that we started in AP Stats where it's, I think, a bit fundamentally easier to make everything relevant. And then we expanded into Algebra 1 and Algebra 2. And we kind of we took the format of our AP Stats materials and put that into Algebra 1 and Algebra 2. And it wasn't, it, it worked well, but it wasn't an ideal fit, I think. And so we're working on a reformat of those lessons to keep the same enduring relevant context and keep the same focus on infusing real data, but in a way that's going to be even more natural to the flow of your typical functions-based math course, like Algebra 1, Algebra 2, Pre-Calculus. And that's going to serve as a blueprint for us going forward. Um, I can't share more details at this time, but there's more to come for sure. Yeah. Um, so throughout this entire conversation, we've noticed that you've done a really great job of creating community around your curriculum. Um, we were wondering how should we as data scientists and educators be creating or evolving a community around data science education? Yeah, I think one thing that I've learned, um, not through this work, but through seeing how people respond to the work, is that people find it very strange that we're direct to teachers. Most times when people consider, how do I reform math education? They're like, I'm going to come in from a pie. I'm going to talk to the district administrators. and we're going to do some sort of top-down policy change. I'm going to change the standards. I'm going to change things at the district level. And then that's going to go down to the teachers. And as a teacher, I know that every time that, we would get orders from up on high. By the time they filtered down to us, they were often in a very Frankenstein version of what they were originally probably. And also something that we knew was not gonna be compelling for the students we were serving in class tomorrow. Um, and there's this other model where it's like just direct to students. We're gonna divorce the student from the teacher. We're gonna create these modules where students are just watching videos, learning on their own. You don't need the teacher, they're superfluous. Um, and, and we're gonna make great content that students are gonna be able to self-learn from. And I found that those sorts of materials tend to be usually great for students who are already doing well in school and who already have um, certain things in place that help them learn on their own. Um, but for students who might need extra support, for students who traditionally haven't been served by um, sorts of uh, materials that we have in our school system. Uh, it's it's often takes more in setting up a great classroom environment of collaboration and having expert help from your teachers and making new ways of exploring things as a community in the classroom to get them engaged rather than throw them at a computer, play the video and watch as their heads fall down. Um, so 
going direct to teachers and being like, hey, I'm a teacher in K-12 classrooms, teaching stats. Here's stuff that I've made for my own AP stats classrooms for the same standards you're teaching. And what I found works with my students and sharing that free has created this uh, exposure that has gone between school districts rapidly. We're in all 50 states across the United States. We've spent $0 on marketing. We don't even know what marketing is. It's just teachers sharing with teachers across their professional learning communities. And it's because I think the stuff is very compelling to teachers, to students, and they're motivated to share it. And I think this model of going direct to teachers with, hey, here's some great stuff that we've developed for our own classroom, you can use it too, is a great way to spread materials, to create community, and then to start dialogue where now we have teacher trainings that we call SKU-U, of course, that teachers come together and we have these professional learning communities where we talk about how we make the stuff relevant and really come alive in our own classrooms. And that creates community too. We have teacher contributions where it's not just me and my team creating stuff, but teachers taking our lessons, riffing on them, sending back to us and those becoming better versions on our site. And we have featured those teachers or teachers coming up with completely new context and new stuff. And they're so, so motivated to share it now that they've seen it done that they share it with us and then we get to uh, share it on the site and, and credit them. So I think going direct to teachers is something that's largely unexplored in the education space, but I think something that creates community and should be done more often. Definitely. So as we kind of reach the tail end of the interview, something that we ask all of our guests is, do you have any parting thoughts or words of wisdom for data science educators around the world? Yeah, uh, I think if you're looking to get into data scientists, data science, excuse me, and you're doing it in order to process data, i.e., take data sets, manipulate them, and come up with the best sort of model or the best sort of analysis, um, that's great. And I think the thing that we also need to really focus on is not just the processing of data, but also uh, data literacy. How do students, once they graduate from high school, have the skills to take data that's already been processed out there um, in the form of graphs, in the form of summary statistics, in the form of tables, in the form of studies, and interrogate what's going on. Was this a biased sample or an unbiased sample? Is this really causation or is this correlation? Is this graph really, is this real or is this misleading? Those are the kinds of skills that I really want my students to walk away from in our math world of K-12. And I think that as a baseline, every citizen in our modern world needs to be able to do. And then also a subset of them who are gonna become data practitioners. I want them to use the latest technology to become data processors, to really make meaning of their own raw data sets. Um, but I think getting mastery in the data literacy skill set is, is step one for people who wanna become data scientists and for people who want to educate future data scientists. Awesome, thank you so much. Great to chat with you. Thank you all, really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you're interested in learning more about data science education resources, 
Please subscribe to our Substack to get notified when we release any future podcasts. And join our community Slack channel through the link provided in this episode's description. Thank you.